And it's really significant that we come together on a Friday morning and we've assembled with one heart, with one mind, and we can take all of those distractions and, and the busyness of life and we can just lay it out there at the door and come in here and just focus on a resurrected Savior. Or as I look around the room, I look at people that are from Asia or North America or Africa or all around the globe, and it really just inspires me, and it does good to my soul to be reminded that Christ came, and he has liberated us from our captivity, and he has given us a new life and eternal hope and a purpose, and every single tribe, nation, and tongue, we will all one day be gathered together in eternity, wearing those white robes, praising the Lamb who was slain on our behalf and resurrected to the glory of God, and we get just a taste of it, just, just a glimpse, a shadow, if you will, of that right here at ECC off-island. And so it, it is truly a privilege to be with my brothers and sisters once again on this Friday morning. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that two weeks ago, we started this journey. And we asked a question Friday morning. We asked the question, why are we here? Why exactly do we have this assembly, this collection of people from all around the globe that God has brought here? Why do we even come here? And really for you to look in the mirror and ask yourself and ask myself, why do I come? What is my purpose? And beyond that, as a group, what are we actually trying to accomplish in the world? And in your notes, you see in the very top, it's a reminder that our mission, we exist as a church to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That is the mission. That is the focus. We will be stubbornly dedicated to that. We will not deviate or get distracted from that mission that Jesus Christ himself gave to us. We, last week, we followed up with asking the next question, the logical question. We said, okay, well, if our mission is to make disciples, well, what is a disciple? What are we trying to actually make here? What does it actually look like? And so we looked last week in Luke chapter 9, and we learned that a disciple is someone that has received Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. They are born again of God's Spirit. They are following Jesus, but not casually listening to him, and not even just convinced that Jesus is somehow good for them, but they are committed a committed, lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. Committed to what? Well, committed to the person of Jesus. Not a system, not a religion, to the person of Jesus, but also committed to the authority of Jesus. Committed to obeying him, becoming more like him, and committed to the mission of Jesus, to making more disciples for his glory. And that is why we are here, our mission, and that is the end product. That is the goal. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And so we started talking about this series now called Follow Me, where Jesus, so often in the Gospels, all four of them, says, follow me. And people, poor and rich and everything in between, were asked, will you come follow me? And we read how people, it says in the scriptures, left everything, abandoned themselves, denied themselves daily, carried their cross, and were following Jesus. So that is what we're after. That is why we're here. We're, everything that we do is towards that end. So now the next logical question. It's right there in your notes. Now, if you have your notes, you're wondering, 
Oh, man, you got front and back today. Pastor, this is, this is going to be a two-hour message. No, it's not. There's a lot of material. I want you to have it. So that's why I gave you more notes than usual. But your first set of blanks there, this first, this first question and this logical conclusion that we're asking is how are we going to accomplish our mission? That's your blank, accomplish. How are we actually going to do it? Because, by the way, it's not hard to have a plan. Having a plan is really not that difficult. But having the courage to actually implement and see that plan come to fruition, now that is much harder. We can all start off on January 1st. I'm going to lose weight this year. I have a mission. I have a plan. All the gyms are packed in January. But by February, the gyms aren't packed anymore. What happened? Well, you had a plan, but you didn't actually follow through with it. Same thing with parents. Picture, picture a young couple, pregnant, give birth to the first child, and they have a mission. They, have a, they know what they want to accomplish. They want that child to grow. They want to be relationally close to that child. They want to see that child be self-controlled and have a passion for Jesus. They want the absolute best for this child. But that couple soon realizes that having children isn't quite so easy. And it's really busy. And it's really frustrating sometimes. No offense to kids in, in the audience, but it's not easy being a parent. And then what happens is, these parents years later find themselves, and they're just chauffeurs. They're just taxi drivers driving from this place to that place and all the island and all around and busy. And all of a sudden, they realize, man, I'm not even close to my child. When did I last actually talk to my child? Besides, get ready, we have to leave. Come on, hurry up. Uh, other than that conversation, uh, other than that, when was the last time that this couple actually sat down and had a conversation heart to heart with the child? And usually the answer is, I don't remember when. Why? Too busy. They got distracted. And, and they had a mission. They had desires that were good and God-honoring, but they didn't have a plan. They didn't have a strategy. So what happened to their mission? Not accomplished. It didn't happen. Too distracted. Life got in the way, and that can happen to all of us, any of us at any given time. Pick a topic. I just named one here off the top of my head, but quite honestly, it can happen to any of us, and it can happen to a church, and it happens to a lot of churches, where they may even have a good mission, a good, good idea, the one just for the kingdom, but in the end, if there's no strategy, if there's no actual plan to make it happen, then it won't happen. And so your next question there, so we're asking, well, how are we going to accomplish it? How are we going to actually accomplish this mission as a church? Well, the answer, our strategy, our plan, how are we going to do it, will be based on the mission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. And so our strategy, how are we going to actually accomplish our objective as a church, will be based on the mission of Jesus. will come from the words of Jesus, not my ideas, not your ideas. Quite honestly, what we think doesn't really matter much. It's what Jesus says, and we're going to look at his words and learn our mission from Jesus himself. And we're going to do it by looking at John 17. We will be in this chapter for the rest of this follow me 
teaching series, as we hear the words of Jesus in our own hearts, we hear Jesus say, come, will you come follow me? We're going to learn what it looks like to actually follow him by looking at John 17. Now, if you've read that chapter before in the Bible, you know sometimes it's called the high priestly prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus made right before he was betrayed, arrested, put on a kangaroo court trial, and then he would be crucified the very next morning. And so this is the night before he was crucified. He already had the evening where he had the institution of the Lord's Supper. He already had the Passover meal. If you were here in the summer, we, we had a series called Abide. We're talking about abiding in Jesus out of John 15. That was in the same, same evening. Now we're in John 17, same evening before he's betrayed. This is the last recorded prayer that Jesus had. Because you look at John 17, when the, when the chapter concludes, chapter 18 begins, and he's betrayed. And then he's crucified. But, of course, he's resurrected to the glory of God. But this is the last prayer, and it's very important. And he prays for three people in this prayer. He begins in the first five verses we'll look at here in a few minutes. He prays for himself as he's about to go to the cross. And then he prays for his disciples, his 11 authentic disciples. Mine is the one, of course, that betrayed him, but he prays for his disciples. But then, thirdly, he prays for you and me. He prays for future disciples, for those that will believe in 2012 in the zoo, in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi, in Abakia, sitting in red chairs. He prays for you. This is a very important prayer where he's describing his mission that he then entrusts to us. And let's begin by reading John 17, verses 1 through 5. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Amen. Jesus describes his mission as he prays for himself, as he readies himself to go to the cross. And his mission, which will become the foundation for our strategy, how we're going to accomplish our mission that he gave to us, was centered on two main points. They're in your notes. Number one, his mission was based on a message. The message of what? The message of redemption. The next blank there. The message that Christ proclaimed was that of redemption. We just read it in verses 2, 3, and 4. He says that he has the authority to do what? He's the eternal son of God. He was there before the world existed. And so for those people that we might call friends who don't believe in Jesus, who say that he is not the son of God, for those that would argue and would say, no, he's just a prophet, 
or said, no, he's just a good man, but he is not divine. There is no trinity. There's only one God. Well, there is one God, but in three persons. And here he says that he is sharing the glory of God. God does not share his glory. You kidding me? God does not share his glory. But Jesus says, you, God the Father, glorify me. He is saying something that we must not miss. He is God. And he was there before the world existed. And he shared that glory with God the Father he has the authority to do what? The authority to grant eternal life. He has the authority because he is God and he would soon die on the cross in your place and mine and he would purchase redemption for us and he would offer it to us freely. His message is that of redemption, of liberation. Redeem means to be set free. And so whether it was an animal or a land or a person, to redeem meant to be set free from captivity. And so you and I, according to the scriptures, were enslaved. Enslaved to what? Well, enslaved to Satan. Enslaved to your own sin and honestly to your own self. We're enslaved and Jesus came to free us, which is why in the same book in John 8, he talks about being set free. You're free indeed. And so this is this theme that he's developing here. So he has come to redeem. This is his message. But he explains how it works. He says that you may know God and his son. Redemption comes from knowing God. It is not a religion. It is not rituals. It is knowing God. And it's not knowing about God or knowing that he exists. It is knowing him personally and intimately. It's knowing him, having a relationship with him. But here's the question. How in the world can sinful, corrupt humans like you and me, how could we ever hope to be in relationship with a holy God? It is not possible. Only because Jesus died, paid the penalty for our sins, and then he gives us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit thus enabling us because of his holiness imputed, given, transferred to us, enables us to not be in relationship with him. It's all about Jesus, about his work on the cross, redeeming sinful humanity and allowing us to experience the joy of truly knowing God. And so his message was redemption. So Jesus' mission was he, was, he preached redemption and then he accomplished it when he died on the cross. Let's read one verse. Turn probably a couple of pages to John 19, verse 30. He says that he was given work to do in John 17. And in John 19, 30, hanging on the cross, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The work he was given to do, he finished it. He accomplished it on the cross. He accomplished it for you and for me. But even beyond that, he accomplished it first and foremost for his own glory. 
to demonstrate how amazing and wise and beautiful and gracious and merciful and slow to anger and just how glorious he is. And so our strategy as a church must be based on the mission of Jesus, number one, on the message of redemption. Number two, his mission was based on the method, the method of what? Of reproduction, of reproduction. So the message is redemption. His method is to reproduce, of reproduction. And so in verse 4, again, back to John 17, our text, verse 4, I glorify to you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And so he was given a particular task. He was given work to do from the Father. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all equal. They're all God. They're all the same divine essence. But the, but the Son submits himself to the Father. The Father sent the Son. And the Son obediently obeyed the work that he was given to do, which was, again, redemption. And so he was given this work. And then if you turn in the same chapter... Verse 18, we'll look at this more later in the series, but just for a round briefly. Verse 18, same, same prayer, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, reviewing from verse 4, so as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God the Father sent the Son, and the Son sends us. To be afraid of the world, to hide from the world, to be as quiet as possible, to be fearful in the world? No! He has sent us into a Muslim country, into the world, to glorify God by making and developing disciples. Godfather sent him, and now he sends us to go and continue his mission. The mission that he accomplished on the cross, he then gives to us to carry that message, and to make disciples. And so we are to reproduce. That is what we do. Just like Jesus was obedient to the Father, we are obedient to the Son, who is our Lord, who is the head of this church, who leads us through his Spirit, through his Word. He sends us, because the Father sent him. And so the goal of discipleship must be to reproduce ourselves. Many people think that the goal is to just go to Bible studies and just learn more and just keep learning more and keep learning more. And it's like, okay, you're fat spiritually. You've learned much. It's time to go and do the end, which is to make disciples. Learning is a means. Listen, learning is a means. Learning is not the end. Learning is the means. The end is the glory of God. And we achieve that how? By making and developing disciples. And so learning is quite simply the means to the end. But so many believers can see going to Bible study as the end. Oh, I went to Bible study, check, done. No, that's just the means to glorify God. The end is to reproduce. And so what motivated Jesus and what should motivate you and me to actually engage in this? So verse 1, he reminds us, he says that the hour has come, glorify your son, why? That the Son may glorify you. And then verse 5, book end. He prays for himself. In verse 5, and now, Father, glorify. Man, there's kind of this theme here, isn't there? Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before 
the world existed. The motivation for Jesus, the motivation for you and me, and your next blank, is his glory. That is the purpose. The purpose of his mission is his glory. So, our strategy is based on his mission. Number one, the message is redemption. The method is reproduction. And the purpose, the motivation, the goal is his glory. So there you have it. You're like, okay, well, that's simple enough. Our message, I understand that, and I understand what the method is, sort of. But how does this actually work in practicality, in the day-in, day-out, weekly, Friday gatherings, in the church life? How do we actually do this? Well, first of all, here's how you will not do it. Here's how we will not do it. And then we'll talk about how we are going to do it, okay? When Jesus prays in John chapter 17... You, you know what he doesn't mention? He doesn't mention, you know, God the Father, I healed so many people for you. He never says that. He never says, I multiplied the bread and fed the thousands for you, Father. He never says that. He doesn't say, I went to synagogue and I preached on Saturdays all the time. He, does, he doesn't say that either. I healed multitudes for you, God. No. Doesn't do that either. Not once does Jesus even allude to his activities. He doesn't allude to the things that he did and all the things that he accomplished. All he does is he prays for people. So he does. He first prays for himself as he's about to go to the cross. He prays for his disciples. He prays for future disciples. That's it. Over 40 times if you read here in Luke 17, the whole chapter, and we'll work through it the next six weeks. Over 40 times, he is specifically addressing the people that God the Father gave to him that he would grant them eternal life. And so he is focused on building up people. Now, let me give you four Ps. It's not in your notes, but this is just kind of my thoughts on this, on how it is that most churches, especially in the West, that's kind of more my context, and so pardon me, but where I come from, and I know it's across the world, it's not just the U.S., there's basically four P's that describe the modern, if you will, church growth strategy. What the first P is? Place. You have to have a multi-million dollar building. It has to be an engaging space, as we call it. We need to engage the crowds with a multi-million dollar state-of-the-art slick building because if you don't have that, they won't come. So if you build it, they will come. And so you have to have this really impressive place, okay? Second P, performance. You have to have the best musicians. You have to have the best presentation on the stage to wow the crowds. And if you can wow them with your performance, you'll, you'll keep having them come every week, and they'll give money, and, and, and pastors get impressed and, and think they're so important, and it fuels their pride. This is just my opinions, not, not what God says. This is what Matthew says. That they have the right place, right performance, right programs. If you have all of the right programs and you have little Disney World, you know, mini Disney World in your building, because if you've been to churches in the U.S., if you, you, I can assure you that it's literally, they, they've hired like Disney designers to build their building. I'm not even exaggerating. I've talked to these people. 
and it's an engaging space. And, and so you have to have the right programs, and you have to have all the right kids programming, all the right this programming, and you have to keep everyone, all, all the consumers happy and keep shopping and coming here because we can offer so much for you. We'll do this for you, so keep coming because of our programs. But then there's the four P, which is professionals. You need professionals to make it happen. You have to have professional staff, incredible speakers from the pulpit, and incredible musicians, and incredible youth leaders, and just the professionals. And, and we say things like, we know what we're doing. You, you do your job, you know, wherever you work, and we do our job excellently right up here. And so what your job is, bring your friends, okay? Because we're the professionals, and we know how to best engage the friends, because we've done market surveys, and so it's very important that you bring your friends so that we, the professionals, do ministry, and all of you, here's what you do. You just come. You just come sit. We'll wow you, and you let us do the ministry, and so we're basically saying, don't try this at home. Professionals only on a closed track. This is dangerous for you. This is way for you to attempt ministry for you. You know, non-seminary graduate? Are you kidding me? For you to actually try and make disciples, you're going to hurt yourself. It's too dangerous. But the professionals do it. I have my own P for that. It's a problem. It's a problem. And you know what the problem is? We leave out the people of God. We literally leave out the main essence of what Jesus was praying for was the people that God gave to him to carry on the mission that he accomplished for us on the cross. When he hung and said, it is finished. We can't lose. What is the worst that can happen to us? Prison? Martyrdom? Lose your job? What is the worst that can happen? I'm eternity. I'm going to be with Jesus. There is nothing man can do to me that is that bad. I have eternity waiting for me. All of us need to be engaged. I'm convinced there are so many people, it's just become so trendy, so popular in the West to just criticize the church, to just slam the church. And there's books on why churches are a problem and you shouldn't go to church, and you should have non-institutional, as we refer to it now, churches, and all of this ripping the church. And, and you know why I think, honestly, people don't like the church, at least some of them, or maybe a lot of them, honestly? They're bored. I think people are bored. Because all we've done as leaders in many churches is say, just come, just come and sit and listen, and then go, but then come back. Make sure you tithe and, and, and go home, but come back and just sit and listen some more. And after a while, you think, well, what's the point? We get bored. Do you think I would be bored? I would. If I had to just go to church and just listen to a message every week and then go home and come back and listen to a message and go home and come back and listen to a message, I would be bored too. You weren't made to just sit and just listen to a message. You were made to make and develop disciples for the glory of God who saved you. 
He wanted to experience this adventure called follow Jesus. And so for us to sit and watch other people on the adventure experiencing really following Jesus the way he described, and then we're just sitting there, it's kind of boring. That's not what I want for you or for our church at all. I don't want you bored. I, I want you really engaged in pursuing Christ the way he has revealed. And quite honestly, is life going to be like an action movie? Well, clearly not. I'm not saying that. But I am saying experiencing the pleasure of God as you're living for his glory and us doing this together. Together. Accomplishing this mission. So practically speaking, Let's talk about how we're going to do this as a church, all right? You're thinking, man, this, this is going to be a long, no, no, it's not going to be another 30 minutes, trust me. And the reason is, as you look on your back page of the notes, that, that section we'll look at for the next six weeks. Today's just a crash course overview of this strategy, and then we'll take some time over the next six weeks to look at it more in depth and digest it and understand it. But let's be introduced to it this morning. Matthew 28, we read this two weeks ago, spent the whole time in this, where we find our mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, just to refresh your memories, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we looked at this, and that's where we find our mission and so there in your notes, I mentioned this two weeks ago, but there are four verbs in this, this sentence, four verbs. One primary verb, and then four, and by the way, a verb, for those of you that aren't up with grammar, that's just an action word, a do word. It's just an action, what we're called to do. And so the main verb, the main action is make disciples. That's, remember from two weeks ago, that is one word in the original language. The one word, the one verb, the one action is make disciples. Well, that's the mission. It's in your notes. That is the mission, is make disciples. But then there's three verbs that are participles. You're like, well, what's a participle? It just ends ing. That's all it means. And those three words are following up, and they support the main verb. So all this really means is that the mission, the command is make disciples. The process of how to do it is going, baptizing, teaching. That's all it means. Going, baptizing, teaching. Those three participles modify the verb if you're an English major. If you care about that grammar stuff. The point is that the three participles, these three words, going, baptizing, teaching, are describing the strategy, the how you do it. The mission, make disciples. How do you do it? Going, baptizing, teaching. That is our strategy. So I'm not making this up. This is straight from the words of Jesus. So how does this work? Because you may notice I put three other words right next to the three biblical words. Well, going. When Jesus says going, He's referring to living your life, the, day, the daily comings and the daily goings and just going to work and just living your life. So as you're just going in life, so he's talking about living your whole life 
for the glory of God, not just Friday morning as you're just going all of your life, your spheres of influence, everything about who you are, your neighbors and so forth, where you work, is you're going. And our going is meant to be influential for Jesus. And so we are called to have influence for Jesus. Tell others about him. Invite others and invite them to your home group. And just be influential. Serve others in the name of God. And so influence basically is the word that summarizes what Jesus is describing with going. Just in your daily life. Have influence. Use your influence for Jesus. Make disciples. Second one, baptizing. Now, baptism is the visible picture, the external demonstration of what's happened internally. And so what's happened internally? Well, the person has believed. Well, believed in what? Believed in Jesus. They believe that they're sinners, and they've repented of that sin and turned to Christ complete trust. And they believed that they were dead on the inside, just like Jesus died on the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And so we believe that we have been spiritually resurrected. And so when someone goes under the water, that's a picture of who they were before they knew Christ. They were dead in their sins, just like their Savior was dead physically. But just like Christ was resurrected, we've been spiritually resurrected. And so baptism is a picture of the gospel. It's the audiovisual picture of what the gospel is. And so what you see here is when someone is baptized, they're going public. They're saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God for salvation for all who believe. They're saying, I'm not embarrassed. I'll go public. I belong to Jesus. I belong to the family of God. I belong to the people of God. And so when someone is baptized, it is a public symbol that they belong to the people of God, that they're part of a community. And so when he says you baptize, baptizing people, he's saying bring them into the fellowship, into the community. Make it public. Don't be hiding behind anything. Be open about your faith and community. And so that's what that word is symbolizing is community. And in the third word, he says teaching. Well, that refers clearly to spiritual growth, learning more about him and how to be more like him, be a better follower. And he's talking about growth. And so those three words, influence, community, and growth, that is our strategy. That is how we are going to actually make disciples. Now, you'll notice that it's not a line. I'm a very linear thinker. I understand that. But in this case... It's not a one, two, three progression. It's a continuous circle. It's a continuous motion. Well, why is that? Because we have to be living this out every day. Every day you have to have community. Every day you have to have influence and growth. And so every day you need to be focused on being influential for Jesus. Every day focus on growing spiritually. Every day have people that can speak truth into your life and have authentic community. If you only have one, will you be healthy? No. If you have two, will you be healthy? No. You need all three. Just once? Just Fridays? No. You need all three every day, continuously. You need to do all three. 
This is not my idea. This is Jesus' idea. This is his word. You need all three, growth, community, and influence. And as a church, we need all three, continuously. And so the next two weeks, we'll, we'll look at growth. And then for the next two weeks after that, we'll look at community. And then the next two weeks, we'll look at influence, more in depth, understand it better, and see how you apply it privately in your own life and how we apply it publicly as a church. We'll look at all of these over the next six weeks. We understand our strategy better and how this works in your life individually and as a body. Now, as we close here, there's a few non-negotiables, very important. As we apply these principles, as we apply this strategy that God has revealed in his word, there are three principles that are not negotiable. Number one, biblical. As we apply these principles of this strategy, we will be biblical. We will be centered on the scriptures. Everything that we do as a church and you individually must be based, centered on God's word. Number two, intentional. We're going to be intentional. We will purposefully equip and mobilize people to make and develop disciples. We're not going to be haphazard. Things that ECC Father are not by accident. We don't just do things because they're cool or neato or it would be great if we did. No. No, 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 no. When we do anything, any ministry, any event, anything, 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 is it biblical? Are we going to be intentional with it? Number three, simple. It's going to be simple. Biblical, intentional, and simple. We will focus all of our energy, time, resources, everything into a simple process that is to produce world-influencing disciples. And so that is the goal, that everything we do is biblical, that we're very intentional, and that we are simple. This is the playbook. Does that make sense? If you don't like sports, and that's confusing to you, but for guys at least, tell the girls what that means, the playbook. It governs what we do. We call the plays. And, and so what this means is this is our strategy and we will not deviate. And so just briefly here, growth. One primary way that we accomplish that is on Friday mornings. You come and you, you're going to hear messages that are going to be focused on Christ and glorifying him from the scriptures so you can be challenged and then go home and grow more. Hopefully inspired to grow, grow more at home. And so growth is primarily the worship gatherings. But secondly, community. That's our home groups. So we're going to have home groups that you're going to be able to experience authentic community and relationship. Third one, influence, sacrificial service. We all need to be serving both our, our faith family and the world. That's it. That's what we're going to do as a church. We're not going to do more than that. We're not going to do less than that. We're going to do it Jesus' way. We're going to do it very simple, intentional, yet biblical. Because if I'm honest, everyone in here is very busy. And we have finite time, finite resources. And so we're going to maximize what God's given to us to make and develop disciples. Jesus says, follow me. Following him means following him in community. Following him means following him, growing to be like him spiritually. Following him means making more disciples as we influence for Jesus. 
That's what it means to follow him, his way, his mission, his strategy that we're going to adopt as a church. I love John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Truly knowing and enjoying Jesus is the fuel for us to really follow him like we're describing this morning. And just to give you an application point, you'll notice in your bulletin, there's a sign-up sheet, which we passed out last week on joining a home group. I talked to several of you afterwards having biscuits and coffee and tea, and, and you mentioned that you're thinking about it. You're like, I'm just so busy, I just don't know, and you're just, you're just thinking about joining a home group. Honestly, stop thinking about it. You need a home group. You need community. And so you can sign up. If you signed up last week, you don't need to do it again. We've got your information. We're assembling groups as we speak. It'll be another week or so, or most two. And so if you already signed up, you don't have to do it again. By the way, if you're leading one, you don't have to do one either. We, we, we know who you are. Only fill one out if you haven't filled one out yet. And I can't guarantee you that it'll be the exact day or location, but we're going to try our best. And our, our vision with our home groups, quite honestly, is that you'll experience growth and community and influence in your home group. That's the goal. That's what Jesus would want us to do, and so that's what we're going to do together. If you were here about three weeks ago, we had another sheet that looked similar to this that was opportunities for serving sign-up sheet. Very similar. There's a stack on the back table. There are many ministry teams in our church. We have a prayer team. We have a care ministry team. We have, of course, a worship team. If you play an instrument, we want you to serve. If you can sing, please come serve. We also have beyond that this home group leadership team. If you've done it in the past, come talk to me and we'll talk. Many teams, many ways to get involved serving. If you love children, we need help with children. You can use your influence for Jesus to bless others, experience his pleasure and worship. And so this morning you have opportunity to respond by signing up to serve, use your influence, and to experience community. If you do sign up for a home group, I would ask that you just drop it in the offering bag, which we buy here in just a minute. But at this time, I'm going to ask you to just kind of bow your heads for just a moment, and I want you to just reflect on what kind of following you've been doing. We're all called to follow Jesus. So we know that. Have you been following him? Has it been half-hearted, or have you been really engaged in following him? What has welled up in your heart that has just taken up so much space and energy that you've just kind of lost your focus? I encourage you to spend time with your father, even right now, and run back to him because he will hold you and embrace you and he will not turn you away. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ, if this following Jesus is new to you, there's cards in the back table you can fill out and just mark the box that says you received Christ today and I'll call you and we'll meet and we'll talk 
and help you as you grow in this journey. Our loving Father, we are just so humbled and privileged that you would assemble this group of people for your glory in a time such as this. Thank you. Thank you for the message of redemption and for this method of reproduction that you've given to us, Jesus. Help us to be faithful. Help us to not be timid. Help us to not worship convenience or comfort to the point where we can't even worship you. Help us to carry our cross, daily deny ourselves, and follow you, Jesus, individually and as a church. We are humbled that you would hear us. We thank you. We're unworthy, but you, Jesus, are worthy. Thank you. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing together.